Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we examined the conclusion of Detective Martin Howard's testimony in the trial. On today's episode, we examine the direct examination of Richie McGinnis, the videographer for The Daily Caller, who followed immediately behind Kyle Rittenhouse and Joseph Rosenbaum in the moments leading up to Rittenhouse's fatal shooting of Rosenbaum. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. After Kenosha Detective Martin Howard leaves the stand, Prosecutor Thomas Binger calls as his next witness, videographer Richie McGinnis, who is covering the civil unrest in Kenosha for The Daily Caller, a conservative American news and opinion website. McGinnis is dressed in a black suit with a white shirt and a black skinny tie. His sandy brown hair is combed back, and he sports a wispy mustache. Prompted by Thomas Binger, McGinnis describes his job as video director at The Daily Caller and explains some of his experiences in covering the protests and civil unrest around the country during the summer of 2020 in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd. He offers specific testimony about witnessing rioting and violence in other cities and expresses that in some places, when those engaged in such violence observed the presence of his team's cameras, the team felt threatened and would have to evacuate. Prosecutor Binger then moves on to ask McGinnis about his experiences in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in late August of 2020. I want to move forward to Kenosha. Um, everybody here is familiar with the shooting of Jacob Blake on Sunday night, August 23rd, 2020. Um, after that, uh, was there a time in which you became interested in coming to Kenosha to cover what was going on here? Yeah, uh, Shelby and Jorge. Um who are two of our reporters who I traveled with extensively, uh, implored me to to book the trip. And uh, we had lengthy discussions with our editor-in-chief who, uh, regarding whether or not we should go. Eventually the decision was made to come here, is that correct? Fair to say? Yes. Do you remember when it was that you first arrived in Kenosha to begin covering these events? Yes, it was uh, that Monday. Do you remember approximately what time of day? It was the afternoon. Um, I'm not sure. It was before it was. It was before it was dark. There's been a lot of testimony about the events of that night. Uh, some of the things that happened around town. Did you personally witness any of that? Yes. Can you tell us what you personally witnessed? Um, witnessed many cars being burned. Um, I actually, uh, Shelby recorded an interview with uh, some of the individuals in front of. Uh, so there was the big car lot that was burned, but then there was the, the lot actually um, where the armed individuals were on the on the night of the shooting. Um, we, we actually were in front of that business the night before 
and, and Shelby recorded an interview where uh, those individuals were, there, there, there were people who, I guess, I guess the owner of the business had asked people to go out and try to put out the fires. So um, she recorded an interview with uh, individuals who were using a power washer and there were other people using like buckets to try to put out fires uh, with the cars. As Richie McGinnis mentions the two car source locations, Prosecutor Binger brings up an aerial map of the area. Using a red laser pointer, he points out both car source locations and clarifies that the location that was hit by arson fires was the location on the northeast corner of 59th and Sheridan Road, and that the 60th Street car source location to the southwest was where Rittenhouse and the rest of a group of armed individuals stood guard on the night of the shooting. Keeping the map up on the screen, Binger shifts his line of questioning to August 25th, the day of the shooting. Prompted by Binger's questions, Richie McGinnis takes the jury through what he and his team did that day. They recorded conversations with business owners impacted by the protest from the night before, and they also interviewed community volunteers who were cleaning up the city. McGinnis then states that they came back before sunset to document the demonstrations that were expected to resume that night. They started at the Kenosha Courthouse, filming tense exchanges between protesters and law enforcement officials in riot gear, until the police began using their shields to move the line of protesters away from the courthouse and south on Sheridan Road towards the area where the car source locations were. Prosecutor Binger then asks McGinnis to share with the jury what he did next. Um, well, I was typically in these kind of situations, uh, the goal is to show both what law enforcement are dealing with and, and what the what the protesters, demonstrators, rioters, we want to call them. Um, you want to show both situations. So you want to, um, I was in the middle of the protesters on one side and the, and the police on the other. And I actually recorded, you know, um, a variety of things, including things being thrown, bricks being thrown at law enforcement. Uh, and then I returned to the hotel because there was no cell service uh, to get Wi-Fi to communicate with uh, folks back in Washington, D.C., as well as uh, post the videos to, uh, for our team to then redistribute. McGinnis then explains that in his hotel room, he saw via internet live streams that armed individuals were guarding the car source lots where vandalism and arson had taken place the night before. He also describes that his hotel room overlooked the car source lot on 59th Street, Observing that the encounters involving armed individuals on the streets appeared to be escalating, he decided to leave his hotel room, locate his team to check on their safety, and try to report on any developments. Binger then asks, The, the business where you saw the armed people out on front of, was that the uh, car source location at the southwest corner of 59th and Sheridan? Yes. You mentioned that after seeing them, you felt like the situation was escalating. Why did you feel that way? Um, anytime that there are guns, uh, that elevates the level of danger in my mind. Um, just given that, uh, you know, I've, I've been to, like I said, across the country, many protests, um, in places where people have guns and there's a lot of people in a confined space. Um, you know, this, these are the kind of situations where everybody's very passionate about why they're out there. Um, so in my mind, that the presence of weapons meant that, you know, um, I should be on the ground and, and Shelby, Jorge, and I should be as close to each other as possible to ensure that, you know, we're all safe. 
So did you feel that the presence of guns at that location, did it make you concerned about the safety of your reporters? Yes. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Prompted by Prosecutor Binger, Richie McGinnis explains that he went from the hotel to the car source lot at 60th and Sheridan Road and approached the armed individuals with his hands in the air, asking those who were in front of the building if any of them would be willing to do an interview about why they were there. Binger then asks, Now you, in one of the, you've given interviews uh, to various media outlets about your experiences that night, correct? Yes. And at one point, you described the appearance of these armed individuals at the 59th Street car source as menacing. Do you Uh, recall that? I don't recall that. What what interview was that? Sure. Binger then plays the referenced clip about the armed men from the interview that McGinnis gave in the days after the shooting. I basically just walked up to them and said, is anybody willing to do an interview? And Kyle was just the most willing. And obviously, that's the kind of situation where you have five, six guys armed, with some heavy weaponry. Uh, most of them looked like they had AR-15 style rifles and a couple of them were standing up on the rooftop in the darkness. So it was a, it was a menacing situation. So my goal was just to get my um, interview and, and be as non-threatening as possible and get out of there. So when Kyle volunteered himself, I just wanted to you know, go with the path of least resistance. After McGinnis acknowledges the aptness of the word menacing for his impressions of the armed individuals, he indicates that with the exception of a moment when Ryan Balch joined the conversation, Kyle Rittenhouse was the only member of the armed group that he interviewed that night. Binger then inquires. Did you ask, and for the record here, the person you interviewed, Kyle Rittenhouse, is seated here at council table with the gray suit and the red shirt, is that right? Yes, correct. Did you ask him how old he was? Um, I believe as I was taking out my phone, um, generally, uh, the procedure is, are you willing to do an interview? Yes. Okay. I'm going to record it. Yes. And uh, I believe that I said something along the lines of, um, how old are you? And I believe the response is something along the lines of I'm an adult, uh, or, or I, I actually don't recall because I was doing two things at once, but I just remember the answer being satisfactory enough, um, for me to proceed with the interview. If the defendant had been honest with you and told you that he was 17, would you have recorded an interview with him? I would. In those instances, uh, I can record an interview if somebody's a minor, but I need permission from the parents. Based on what the defendant said to you, whatever the wording was, you had no indication from him that he was 17. Is that fair to say? I I actually told the police the night of that... uh, I believe that he was in his mid-20s, but I I believe I said exactly that he had a baby face. Prosecutor Binger then asks the court AV tech to play the interview Richie McGinnis recorded with Kyle Rittenhouse. This is one of the clips that Binger introduced during the testimony of the previous witness, Detective Martin Howard. 
From behind the camera, we hear McGinnis asking questions as Kyle Rittenhouse stands in front of the boarded-up car source dealership building. What are you doing out here? Obviously, you're armed, and uh, you're in front of this business we saw burning last night. So, what's up? So, people are getting injured. And our job is to protect this business, and part of my job is to also help. If there's somebody hurt, I'm running into harm's way. That's why I have my rifle, because I can't protect myself, obviously. That's not my med kit. And uh, what about these other folks? Obviously, there's some other people who are armed Their as well. Their job is to protect me. Gotcha. And then uh, what about these guys up on the roof? Their job is to provide overwatch to protect me also. Gotcha. They're protecting everybody on the roof. We're protecting each other. Understood. And, and we're running medical. We're going in and we're getting people. And what about, are you, are you from the area? I am from the area. What brought you out here tonight? You just wanted to provide medical attention? Provide medical attention to the people that need it. If somebody's injured, like, you get hurt, I'm grabbing you. I got hit with plenty of, I'm getting hit with plenty of pepper balls, but, you know, as long as it's just bruises. Yeah, I got my, I got my mask. I'm good. And have you encountered any issues yet thus far with law enforcement or anything like that? We had a group earlier try to throw me and set a fire at the church. So we went to the church and we de-escalated the situation, telling them they need to leave or they will be detained if they will be arrested. This church right over here? That church right there. And we stopped the fire out all the way down at the school. Wow. And what do you think it would have been different if the police had to try to stop them from, from setting the fire? I feel like there would be a lot more casualties and a lot more people injured. So I think the police are fine where they're at. And that led us to run the medical because EMS is not coming in. This considered right now to the fire. Yeah. So us citizens, we need to help each other. Me and him are out here running and seeing if people need medical attention. But speaking got, of which, we need to go check to see if somebody got hurt again. All right. Understood. If you want to follow us, you're fine. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right, that's not good. I'm there. Bye bye. On screen, McGinnis files Kyle Rittenhouse and Ryan Balch as they walk south on Sheridan Road. Prosecutor Binger asks for the video to be paused. You are at this point in the video walking south along Sheridan behind the defendant and Ryan Balch. Is that right? Correct. At that moment, given what you've told us about why you were out there and, and the coverage you've done with other events around the country, why did you decide at that moment to follow them? Um, well, during the interview, he mentioned, you know, what his mission was there. And it seemed to me that they were proceeding to, you know, try to do what he was talking about. And uh, I wanted to record it. As the video resumes, we see Rittenhouse and Ryan Balch continue south on Sheridan Road as McGinnis follows asking them questions. Is so you guys are kind of like medics who are packing. Yeah, right? basically. Well, he's an EMT, and I'm, gotcha. just, I'm just kind of protecting his ass. Oh, so you're a certified EMT? Yeah. Gotcha. And do you work as an EMT normally? Okay. I got the I'm a lifeguard normally. I got my analyst and I got my Gotcha. Binger pauses the video once again and asks. The um, defendant tells you that he is an EMT. Is that right? Um, um, yes. Did he say anything else to you? It's a little hard to hear in the video uh, as to what his qualifications were. I believe he mentioned something about uh, lifeguard certification. 
in your experience at the various events that you've covered, similar to what was going on in Kenosha, you know, Seattle, Portland, etc., um, have you seen other individuals who proclaim themselves to be medics or EMTs who are armed with AR-15s? Um, I don't recall any um, people who I, I saw a lot of people who were medics, some of whom were armed, but uh, not with an AR-15 that I recall. When you saw these other medics who were armed, what sort of things had they armed themselves with? Um, I just recall specifically in Seattle, um, a medic armed with a handgun. Other than that one medic with a handgun, do you recall seeing any other medics in any of the other events that you covered who armed themselves with a gun? No. Again, the video resumes with Balch speaking. I'm former Army Infantry, and I got a whole bunch of trash right Well, thank you for your service. We got you. Appreciate the service. Oh, yeah. Both men stop short as a projectile appears to land at their feet. It appears Mr. Balch reacts to something at this mm -hmm. point in the video. Do you know what that was? Um, that was a, I believe it was a brick that was thrown at, a piece of a brick that was thrown at the uh, armored personnel carrier right there. Did it like bounce off towards you guys or something? Do you know? Yeah, uh, it bounced off uh, in front of us. Okay. As the clip resumes, Rittenhouse and Balch continue south on Sheridan Road and wave to police announcing that they are medics and then shout to ask whether anyone needs medical attention. They then encounter a young man with a fire extinguisher who claims to have been hit with a rubber bullet and says that it just stung a little bit. Towards the end of the clip, McGinnis starts to speak with a man wearing yellow pants who points at Rittenhouse and remarks that while this young man is out here offering medical attention now, a short while before, Rittenhouse was implicitly threatening him with a rifle at the 60th Street car source lot. As the clip ends, Judge Schrader calls for a recess. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next episode as we continue our coverage of Prosecutor Binger's direct examination of Richie McGinnis with his questioning of McGinnis about that last clip. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. This episode was written by Dewana Spates. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, 
the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.